Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got ground. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry Connick Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's John DeShazer. Hello and welcome to the Black and Blue Report here on June the 8th. I'm John DeShazer sitting in for Sean Kelly along with Fred Ruckert. He's hanging in for Daniel Salerson. So basically we've got the A-team in for the B-team being out this week, or at least today. And uh, so we will try to get moving here on the Black and Blue Report. Busy, busy, busy sports weekend. Uh, uh, headlined by a lot of great things. Um, obviously, um, we know about Serena Williams winning uh, the French Open. And her, that's her 20th uh, Grand Slam title. And she's hot on the heels of Steffi Graf, who has 22. That's the most for a woman in the open era. So uh, Serena is going to have a chance to actually tie her by the end of the year. She's still got Wimbledon coming up as well as the U.S. Open. And, uh, and so she will uh, continue to see if she can stalk down Steffi Graf. And, and the debate continues whether or not she's the greatest, all, uh, greatest uh, individual champ in tennis history as a four as a woman player. Um, I was a huge Steffi Graf fan, to, uh, to be honest with you. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, she's got a ways to go to get there. But certainly she's got the highest winning percentage, man, 20 and four in, in finals in Grand Slam events, which is, which is phenomenal. So also we have uh, – uh, Stanley Cup Finals, which is tied now, and the Blackhawks uh, against the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And so, you know, I don't know a great deal about hockey. That's really not my sport. Is it yours, Fred? And Fred laughs as I ask him if it's his sport. So I'm guessing it's not. <laughs> but it is tied, and it is the finals. So, uh, you know, I, I will take a look if it gets to Game 7. I'll, I'll make that promise. I'll, I'll say that. Um, horse racing, which is really, really not my sport, but I, everybody loves history. Uh, the first triple crown winner in 37 years, American Pharaoh. And so uh, congratulations, uh, runs away with the Belmont. And uh, so now the debate is whether or not American Pharaoh is going to race again at all. And, and, and if I'm American Pharaoh, of course, the horse can't speak for himself, I guess, unless he's Mr. Ed. But uh, I would want to just go ahead and, and, and be done with it, man, and go on out to stud. I mean, you know, hey, yeah, there's a lot worse things to do than that. And, uh, you know, the only bad part about that is, you know, you go out there with all those Phillies, man, and then, you know, now they're going to be, you know, cutting their eyes at you and whatnot, and, you know, somebody's going to be jealous because you're eating apples with somebody else and that kind of thing. But, you know, really a uh, great 
a great run for American Pharaoh to uh, to do the tri- to to win the Triple Crown, uh, because obviously if it was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, and there's a reason it took 37 years with the Belmont being the most grueling of the Triple Crown races, and and basically he runs away with it. So you know you know the backstory on American Pharaoh. So congratulations there, and uh, always glad to to watch some history. Uh, unfolding under our nose and of course the NBA finals if we're on the black and blue report and that Saints and Pelicans we got to talk a little basketball and a little football and that basketball man is right now in the NBA finals second game uh, Cleveland wins it in overtime 95-93 they even the series at one game apiece and basically you don't want to call it miraculous because all these guys are, uh, are pro athletes and I mean they they get paid to play but man for them to be able to win that game without Kyrie Irving and without Kevin Love. And Anderson Verjao has been out for quite some time, obviously. And But to win it at Oracle Arena in Oakland against Golden State, where they uh, only lost two regular season home games. They were 39-2 and two in the regular season. They lost one playoff game there. So they had only lost three games there uh, on their home court uh, this season until Sunday when – when Cleveland beats them 95-93 in overtime. And actually, Cleveland had a great opportunity to beat them in game one. Went to overtime, and then and then the offense dried up a little bit. Kyrie Irving got injured and fractured his kneecap. And so he's gone for the season. But uh, for Cleveland to be tied in that series with basically LeBron James uh, hoisting that team on his shoulders, uh, you know, he went home to Cleveland, obviously, thinking he was going to have a little bit more help with Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Love. But now both of those guys are injured and out for the season. And so he goes into to game two and puts up, you know, a, a stat line, 39.16 rebounds, 11 assists that had never, ever, ever been uh, posted in the postseason uh, in NBA history. So that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, he shot a poor percentage. And as a team, Cleveland shot 32% from the field. But for them to be able to win in Oakland, uh, to hold Steph Curry to the shooting percentage he had, I think Steph Curry was, you know, two for 15 or something like that from three-point range, something really, really awful. And unfortunately, we, it would have been nice if he had put one of those up against the Pelicans, right? But he didn't. <laughs> so, But he, he does it in the finals, and, and Cleveland really in the driver's seat now. Um, whether they can hold on, who knows? Because beating Golden State once is one thing, but beating them three more times and having to depend on Steph Curry to shoot that way in order to do it, uh, that's going to be a tall task. He's not the kind of guy who's going to be uh, that poor offensively again. But, you know, Cleveland has not really paid, played great in the series yet. And the only problem for Cleveland is, you know, it's down to LeBron James and a bunch of guys. You know, Le- LeBron James, uh, J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, uh, Matt Delavadova, uh, Timofey Mos- Moskov. So, you know, they've got – Got some guys who who really have not been in this position before, so we'll see how it unfolds. But right now, a dramatic, dramatic beginning to the NBA Finals. Again, games one and two, both of them go to overtime, and they're split. And so this is a series that bears watching. Obviously, they moved to Cleveland, play there on Monday, uh, on Tuesday night, and uh, they will get this series rolling now because there's going to be a little bit less rest in between games, uh, only one night off in between these next couple of games, you know, and they're on the 2 2 one, one, one format. So we'll see who can uh, basically survive this this battle of attrition. We know, again, Cleveland's got some injured guys and Golden State in relatively good health. 
But uh, Golden State did not execute well at all, and you got to give Cleveland a lot of credit for that. Cleveland has really stepped up defensively and done some things to Golden State that you didn't think could necessarily be done against Golden State. When Golden State scores 93 points at home, and we saw that team average 110 per game uh, during the regular season, uh, that tells you a little bit how Cleveland's able to dictate pace, how they're able to beat them up a little bit on the boards. And even though they shot 32%, they were able to get some clutch shots when they needed it down the stretch. So this is going to be interesting to see how this series unfolds. We know Golden State wants to get up and down. They want to run. They want a fast break. They want to shoot threes. And Cleveland has not allowed them to do that a whole lot in these first couple of games. So, again, this is going to be a great theater as it unfolds. Uh, we hope it continues to go this way. You can't hope, keep hoping for overtime games. But as in terms of being close games, uh, you can't ask for a whole lot more than what we've seen so far. So we're looking forward to see how this how this series rolls out. So here in the Black and Blue Report, we're going to kick it in gear, man. We're going to come back here in a moment with some player interviews from the Saints. Saints had some OTAs last week. They're going to have some OTA availability also again this week. That'll be on Wednesday. But this goes back to last week when they had the availability uh, when we were able to speak to some of the players in the locker room, including the rookie quarterback, uh, Garrett Grayson, the uh, the pick from Colorado State who might be the heir apparent to Drew Brees at the quarterback slot here for the Saints. They've been talking about perhaps drafting a quarterback the last few seasons. They hadn't been able to do so, never were able to get a guy uh, that they considered to be the guy uh, in the NFL draft. But, you know, Garrett Grayson winds up being the third quarterback taken in the NFL draft and taken by the Saints, no less. So maybe he's the guy that uh, Coach Sean Payton believes they can groom behind Drew Brees. So we'll hear a little bit from Garrett Grayson. And we'll also talk a little bit to Keenan Lewis, the cornerback. Keenan Lewis, the veteran cornerback, who's talking a lot about Garrett Grayson and about what he's seen so far. So hang with us. Stick and stay. We'll be back in a moment with uh, some talks to Garrett Grayson and Keenan Lewis here on the Black and Blue Report. Do you have all the right moves to be a member of the hottest dance team in the NBA? The Pelicans dance team is having open auditions for their 2015-16 squad, and you're invited to try out. Audition prep classes are starting soon, with open auditions happening Saturday, June 13th at the New Orleans Pelicans practice facility on Airline Drive in Metairie. Get details on these prep classes, open auditions, and full Pelicans dance team coverage now at pelicans.com. For fast relief coffee. The heat is here, and Keefe's Air Conditioning and Heating is ready for action. Keefe's is South Louisiana's AC replacement specialists. When you're ready for a new high-efficiency, money-saving air condition unit, call us. And as always, call Keefe's, and we'll get you cool in three hours or less. Guaranteed. Keefe's Air Conditioning and Heating. For fast relief, call Keefe's. We're talking Saints football. On the Black and Blue Report. Well, welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. I'm John DeShazer sitting in for Sean Kelly today. And uh, mentioned previously, we have an interview with Garrett Grayson. Now, the rookie quarterback from Colorado State, again, you know, he's one of those guys, Coach Sean Payton has lauded for the accuracy uh, that Grayson showed during his college years. He's a guy who, who, uh, who came to college actually as a spread offense quarterback and learned a little bit more about being a pro-style quarterback while he was at Colorado State. Said had he not gone to Colorado State, there's no way he would have been prepared 
for the uh, for the life that he's living now in the NFL in terms of being a, a drop back quarterback and a guy who runs a pro style offense. So, you know, he's gotten so good at it, got well enough at it that the Saints felt felt comfortable, you know, selecting him in the NFL draft. So here's a little bit of Garrett Grayson from last week's OTAs. Things you guys work on. Yeah, biggest thing with you know why I'm, I'm just trying to stand next to him. He's got the script obviously, so I'm just trying to stand next to him, get all the herbage down because um, some of the plays we have, you know, are about 10 words longer than I've ever called. So I'm just trying to get all that down and make sure when I, you know, go into the huddle, um, you know, I can get it all out and say it right. Garrett, even though this is OTAs, is it moving a bit fast right now? Um, I don't think it's, you know, over, overwhelmingly fast. Um, the speed of the game hasn't been too much of an adjustment, I guess, for me. Um, you know, the biggest thing is just getting my reads right. Um, you know, when the defense does, you know, the safety buzzes down, whatever he does, and changes up a read. So just making sure I get things like that correct. And throw to the six foot six guy. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that looked like uh, uh, today. I mean, I'm sure there've been other moments like that, but he, he looks like a guy you can lock in. Yeah, on I mean, and let him try to win anytime one. Anytime you can throw it in, that's that's definitely a positive. It's you know that gives you a big area to throw to. So it's you know a lot of room for air that he can make you look good. So. Coach, been, Coach was uh, asked if, if you had a red shirt year. And he he didn't he didn't like that remark. He said, you know, he, he made the Colston analogy that he came here right away and played. I know it's a little different as a quarterback, but you don't look at it as, as a redshirt year either, do you? Um, no, I don't think so. I think obviously I'm trying to learn, you know, from as much as I can. Like I've said many times, from you know, learn as much as I can from Drew. But um, you know, I'm I'm ready to play. I want to play um, whenever that you know time comes. But I still, you know, you know, anytime you can learn from a Hall of Famer, I'm willing to do so. What's that adjustment like going from being limited to like 20 hours a week of practice to now it's it's a full-time job. You're here from morning, you know, to uh, late at night. You know, I like it. I, you know, haven't been the biggest, you know, growing up, I wasn't the biggest fan of school. So now I get to actually do something I love. I um, mean, you know, play the game of football all day, every day. It's something, you know, I've enjoyed the heck out of it. Here you had a high high point on the field. Any plays that have stood out or moments? Um, no, not really, I guess. You know, just going out and having fun. Um, okay. You know, it's all been moving quick. And, you know, we've got install every every two days, so um, I feel like I get comfortable with one thing, and then got more plays thrown at me. So it's just something, you know, the, the pace is just it's quick, and you just gotta, you know, get to learn it and know as much as you can. How about What's a low hardest part? Um, you know, really just spitting out these play calls, um, getting them right. You know, letting everybody know. Um, go walking in with confidence in the huddle. You know, it's something when you've got a play call that's you know 16 words long. And then you got to go in with confidence and tell everybody what to do. Um, sometimes you can get tripped up in your words. So that's that's something that's honestly been uh, probably the most difficult part. Have you had any players in the huddle like trying to assist you in that? Have you stumbled on one? Um, no, I mean, I'll, I'll catch myself and then I'll just start the whole play call over as I don't want to screw anybody up. Um, you know, there's been a couple times that has happened. Um, but I think that's just kind of rookie mistakes. And, you know, you obviously get to learn. Um, you're listening to Drew and Luke, Ryan, all of them. They go in there and just spit these these plays out, and you know, I'm sitting back there thinking, "Holy cow, what did they just say?" But you know, it's just it's just part of the process. They give you any advice on, on how to pick that up, how to learn it, like some um, of the things they yeah, did. Yeah, first first day, uh, I went out in OTAs and um, stumbled on you know a few plays, and Luke pulled me out to the side and just said, "Hey, man, just take it easy. You know, you're not at our pace right now. This is all new to you, so just take it easy, go at your pace, and just play the game you know how to." 
Is I'm it hard to it. calm down and, and not want to go out there and make a huge impression right away? I mean, everyone wants to do that, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little difficult. Obviously, you want to go out there. First impressions are everything, so you want to go out there and do well. Um, but, you know, like that last example I gave when you got, you know, you got a veteran guy pulling you off the side and just say, hey, play your game. Don't worry about what we're doing. That, that means a lot and calms you down quite a bit. And that's Garrett Grayson. And obviously, you know, the rookie, he's come in and he's got a smooth transition so far. You know, he's prepping behind Drew Brees. And one of the guys who notices some of that prep work that Garrett Grayson is doing, cornerback Keenan Lewis, a guy who's a critical part of this Saints team and knows a little bit about the quarterbacks that he's faced over the years. What would you think of Grayson? I think he looked pretty good. You know, that's a guy who you could tell he come in and learn a playbook pretty good. And, you know, he, he impressed me a lot. In which way? In a good way. And, and, and how? I mean, like just the way he handles himself? Or? Yeah, the way he come in and he work as a professional, you know, he got a great leader in front of him, so that make it that much easier. And, you know, I'm just I'm happy and excited to see him work. Can you tell when a guy is that young whether he's going to be a good quarterback or not, Kenny? Uh, I think, you know, I got to see him more, a little more in game situations, but the way he prepare and tell that he'll be in his league for a while. Now, Keenan Lewis, Critical member of that secondary we mentioned, and it's going to be interesting to see how that secondary thing sh shakes out a little bit. We know that Keenan was talking about uh, his quarterback situation right there with uh, Garrett Grayson, and Keenan you know, says he wants to see him in game situations. We want to see what Keenan does in some game situations this year. We know what he can do. Now he's got a new running partner at the other cornerback. That would be Brandon Browner. And both of those guys played at Oregon State, and, in fact, they were college teammates. So going to be interesting to see what they're able to do, both of them long Rangy guys. Now, Brandon Browner is built more like a doggone defensive end or something, man. He's, you know, like 6'4", 6'5", and 220 pounds. And Keenan Lewis, who we consider to be a big cornerback, Keenan's 6'1". <laughs> so imagine Brandon Browner on the other side. But those guys want to get up, do some press coverage. So going to be very, very entertaining to watch those guys, you know, work their crafts as the Saints season moves along. Now, moving on. We uh, get a chance to speak to uh, to a, a receiver who's returning for the Saints this year. Um, Brandon Cooks had an interesting rookie season for the Saints. Cooks, you know, played and he started coming on pretty strong and he scored a couple of touchdowns and he was becoming a deep threat. Unfortunately, broke his hand later in the season and ended up missing the last, you know, la the latter portion of the season, maybe the last third of the season. So stunted his growth a little bit. But we saw him coming on, and certainly back here at OTAs right now, Brandon Cooks is one of the guys who's just pretty much chopping at the bit right now to get back on the field, really enjoying a OTAs. And we, we're really looking forward to seeing what Brandon Cooks is going to have to do, going to, going to have a say in as we head into training camp. And here's a little bit from Brandon Cooks. It's obviously early, but give us your expectations, I guess, out of yourself. <laughs> kind of breaking out last year, you broke your hand. How disappointing is that and how exciting is it to be back in the grind? Um, you know, first of all, it's very exciting to be back. I'm uh, you know, extremely happy to be out there with my teammates, uh, flying around out there on the field. Uh, so you know, this OTA has been going smooth uh, so far. Um, definitely ahead of where I was last year, just uh, mentally in the game, um, knowing my plays and just uh, having that true confidence out there when I'm running around. Do you have a sense of newness or I guess maybe not unfinished business, but you weren't able to finish out the season with that injury? And do you feel like you kind of left a little meat on the bone or left a little something? Um, definitely, uh, especially not, like you said, not 
not finishing the season like that, uh, definitely is that thought of uh, having unfinished business. Um, so, you know, I'm just excited to be back out there and just, uh, you know, trying to stay healthy as much as I can uh, so I can fly around come week one. When you look at this offense now, do you feel like these guys are going to do some more things to kind of get you, you know, the ball in some different places or even more so than last year? You know, that's the thought process. But, you know, we have a bunch of weapons, uh, you know, new additions like CJ, uh, you know, and, and other receivers that we got. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they use me and how they use all of us. But no matter what, I know they're going to use it in the right way into our strengths. Some of those wide receivers might not be household names to us, but... We saw today that there's a lot of competition at wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of competition. Uh, you know, you got, you know, Stretch, uh, you know, Brandon Coleman, and, you know, everybody in the receiver room that's just competing and doing well and uh, playing at a high level right now. What's the biggest difference with you this year as far as being in this room a year ago? Uh, you know, just being confident uh, out there on the field and knowing, really knowing my playbook down to a T. Uh, you know, so taking the thinking part out of it when it comes to that to be able to uh, play faster. You, you were kind of quiet yeah, last year. You, wanted to, you said you wanted to, you know, fit in and, and mm -hmm. you knew your place. Do you yeah. feel like a, a more of a veteran this year and somebody that, that can provide <clears throat> some leadership to some of these young guys? Well, uh, I mean, yeah. Um, I feel like I can lead in, in, in ways, uh, but that's just my personality be quiet in the first place uh, so I, I try to lead by example um, you know I, I let the you know the big leadership go with nine in those guys and let them handle that and stay offense when you mentioned playing faster is that possible for a guy like you <laughs> and you know honestly it is just because like I said taking the thinking out of it some uh, some of that thinking I was doing last year can really slow you down so when you when you take that out of it uh, now you're just out there just playing freely and, and that's what it's all about did you have a chance to review a lot of what you did last year yeah and did you yeah. See anything that that maybe stood out to you that you wanted to work on? And, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, just you know the physical part of the game, uh, you know, and actually coming down to technique now. You can't just run away from everybody like you can in, in college. You actually have to be down and have your technique down to a T. So that's the biggest thing that I saw on film uh, for myself last year. And that's a lot of Saints talk right there on the Black and Blue Run. That's a lot of Black on the Black and Blue Report. But that's uh, that's the Saints guys, Garrett Grayson, Brandon Cooks, Keenan Lewis. We got in touch with all of them, caught up with all of them at OTAs uh, last week. And again, we'll have an opportunity to speak with uh, some more Saints players this week at OTAs. Uh, on Wednesday, we will have the media availability. And don't forget, folks, next week, uh, the Saints will have um, open minicamp to the public. So you'll get a chance to run on out and see those guys out there on the field and be working out. Uh, obviously, you'll get a chance to see some of the rookies coming in. Uh, First-round pick, Andres Pete, as well as Garrett Grayson. But you'll get to see some of the veterans, too, some of the new guys that you have not had an opportunity to see, like a Brandon Browner. So come on out. Check out the Saints you know, on uh, during the mini, mini camps, you can't see them during the OTAs, but you will be able to have those open work, open looks uh, during training camp, and you'll get a chance to get some autographs during the uh, ending session. So come on out and check them out. Uh, we'll be back. At Smoothie King, we're so much more than just fruit and a blender because each and every Smoothie King smoothie is blended for a purpose. Whether you want to make it one more mile or simply make it through the day, we have a smoothie just for that. Bring us your purpose and we'll blend it. Looking to purify your diet? Hurry in now and try our new Nutty Super Grain Vegan Smoothie made with almond milk, Sun Warrior Protein, Super Grains, and a peanut taste you'll go nutty for. Only at Smoothie King, proud supporter of the New Orleans Pelicans. Smoothies with a purpose. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, 
Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz, and we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. Want to listen to the Black and Blue Report on your phone? Download the Saints and Pelicans app today. Well, welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. John DeShazer again. We're sitting in, myself and Fred Rucker, the A-team, sitting in for the B-team. They're out this week somewhere um, sunning and tanning and you know, being otherwise generally bums. Uh, Sean Kelly and Daniel Salerson. So uh, get back soon, guys. But I guess by the time they get back, it's almost going to be time for the, uh, for the show to go on hiatus. So. Those guys will get an extended break. You know, they yeah, they have strategic, as Fred just said, strategic, and I agree with him, uh, strategic absences on the parts of both of those guys. But uh, we're bar- barreling along here on the show, and we are leading up uh, as the summer progresses to the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame uh, induction services. And um, great ceremony. A lot of big names are in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame uh, over the years, you know, whether it's a Joe Dumars or obviously a, a Pete Maravich, you know, and Archie Manning. I mean, you have some guys who, uh, Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame guys who are, you know, significant not only in their sports here in the state, but in the, in the, in the leagues in which they played. Hall of Fame guys who are members of the Louisiana, Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. So congratulations to the uh, incoming class uh, that will be inducted uh, this summer. And one of those guys, Jake DeLome, form, former Saints quarterback, who also quarterback uh, the Carolina Panthers. Jake played at Louisiana Lafayette and owned Daniel Salerson before he headed out. Had an opportunity to speak with Jake about that, that induction. Jake, congrats on the induction later on this month, and thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm certainly uh, excited about this uh, great honor. What was uh, your reaction when you first heard that you were going to be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame? Well, it was probably one of shock. I got the phone call from um, uh, Mr. Bruce Brown, longtime uh, writer from the Daily Advertiser, um, and he gave me a ring, and I remember exactly where I was at, Lafayette, driving in my truck, and uh, kind of never something that I never uh, dreamed of. I, I don't, you know, certain accolades like that. I just that never played into my my mind when I played sports. But uh, when I got the phone call from him, it uh, really made me chuckle, and I, I was pretty much giddy. It's a <laughs> word that I could use. I, I was like a little a young teenage girl, just like laughing about it. I said, "Man, what, what a huge honor!" Absolutely, that's pretty cool. And of course, you played your college ball at UL, formerly known as Southwestern Louisiana. You were undrafted, but made your way to the Saints via free agency. How did your time with the Raging Cajuns help you when starting your career in the NFL? Well, I think the biggest thing for me, um, I was able to play. I didn't red shirt. I was a 175-pound kid coming out of Turley's Catholic High School, <laughs> and um, you know, I get thrown in that halftime of the first game of uh, my true freshman year. So. There was no uh, sitting, waiting, learn. Uh, I got thrown right into the uh, mix, and I was able to play. And uh, I was able to play on a pretty good football team and uh, spent four years of uh, playing and not coming off the field. I think that was the biggest thing for me, that uh, uh, I was able to learn through, uh, you know, through failures and learn through successes and things of that nature. So I always thought that was very crucial in my development. One of the big moments <laughs> when you were there was playing, uh, beating Texas A&M. Would you say that's your favorite moment in college when playing for the UL? It's probably a tie. I think that was one of them. Uh, there's a couple others that rank up there uh, for myself. I know beating Tulane 
uh, both times we played them in the Superdome was uh, was very uh, fun. Uh, we beat them uh, on a fourth down pass with under a minute to go um, in the Superdome uh, my junior year. So that was fantastic. And uh, beating Louisiana Tech all four years we played them. Those are some of the highlights. Uh, but certainly beating Texas A&M with an overflow crowd uh, the first time we had ever beaten a ranked opponent at UL. So obviously that is a memory that will forever be ingrained in my mind. Are you surprised by how much bigger UL football is today? It seems like now they're making a bowl game almost every year. Well, you know, certainly the bowl games have, uh, have increased a great deal, and I think that's awesome for young kids to experience. Uh, unfortunately, I, I would have loved to have been able to attend one. Uh, mm-hmm. We went 8-3 and three and 6-5 and five and 6-5, and five, but um, honestly one of the, 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 you know, I guess the least most um, – favorable bowl back then was the Independence Bowl. So we didn't have all these bowls to choose from. And I know as a college student, um, you'd give anything to be able to go and, and play during your Christmas break and experience a new city and get bowl gifts and play in a bowl game on national television. That would have been a huge honor. Uh, but certainly I think all fellow Ranger Cajuns are living through the, uh, the UL football team the last four years. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's jump to your career in the NFL. You played for the Saints long time with the Carolina Panthers and a couple other teams. I'm sure playing in the Super Bowl is up there on your list, but do you have a favorite moment or play that sticks out to you during your long career in the NFL? I think there's many that stick out. Um, obviously, the Super Bowl was a fantastic experience. Making the Pro Bowl, being voted to the Pro Bowl was fantastic also. But if I had one play that, that really stuck out, um, it was the uh, the year we made it to our Super Bowl. We beat St. Louis, uh, who was the number one seed, home field advantage, and I was able to throw a touchdown pass to Steve Smith on the first play of double overtime, uh, which you don't see much in the NFL because overtime didn't in a tie. Um, you know, when teams don't score after the first 15 minutes, but obviously the playoffs, you have to keep going. So that's one play that certainly sticks out um, in memory for me. Now, I want to uh, jump ahead to right now in the NFL. The QB situation in the NFC South seems to be pretty strong right now. You have Drew Brees in New Orleans, Matt Ryan in Atlanta, Cam Newton in Carolina, and now Jameis Winston in Tampa. How would you describe the QB class of the NFC South right now? Well, obviously, I think you have three of them in there that are uh, extremely talented quarterbacks. Obviously, Drew would be the headliner, being mm-hmm. Super Bowl champion um, and things like that. Um, you know, and. We don't know how many more good years Drew has left. It certainly looks like um, he's not slowing down. Uh, but obviously that's kind of a reshaping of the Saints and their offense. And uh, I think it'll be a big shot in the arm for Drew this year. I think you'll see a really rejuvenated um, uh, Drew this year. Uh, Matt Ryan, I'm a huge, huge fan of Matt Ryan. I've always been, um, you know, I, I think last year Atlanta uh, really surprised me. I thought they would have been a better football team. I just – felt with those two receivers and Matt Ryan, they could have put up a little more, you know, some points. But uh, I think he's a very underrated quarterback. Certainly Cam Newton, um, he's probably the, if you've ever seen him in person, he's uh, bigger than what you can imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, having this physical freak that can really run and throw the football and coming off of an offseason this year where he doesn't have to rehab an injury. I think that would be crucial because I found he started really slow last year. And to be quite honest, he didn't really start – playing the Cam Newton football that I thought I was going to see until December. And it was actually in New Orleans when they played the Saints. That's when you saw him getting back to the running and throwing Cam. Um, So anxious to watch what he does. And certainly Jameis Winston. You don't know what the number one pick will do this year. I'm not so uh, certain how good they are around him yet in Tampa. But I'm like everyone else, a big, strong guy, obviously had a pro-style offense with Jimbo Fisher. I'm anxious to watch his transition. So 
I think it's um, obviously it's pretty set. I think one thing that you will see with all these quarterbacks is that you don't see often. I think you'll see all four quarterbacks take play all 16 games for their team. Uh-huh. I truly believe you'll see that. Drew obviously never misses time. Matt Ryan's the same way. Cam barely ever misses a game. And Jameis is the one that looks like he's pretty sturdy and strong. So I think that's going to be something that will give each team some shot in the arm, having all four guys pulling the trigger each and every Sunday. Yeah, no doubt that'll be very important for all four of those teams. You mentioned Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, both can do it with their arms and they can do it with their legs. Are we seeing more of the mobile quarterback now? And is it how important is it to have one that is mobile? I know you were more of a pocket passer. Is it becoming more important for you to be able to run, or is it still a time where being able to throw in the pocket is the most important thing? Oh, I think throwing in the pocket is king, and it always will be king in the mm-hmm. NFL. I, I, I'm one of these guys uh, – you know, I'm I really not a fan of watching college football anymore. You know, right. uh, I don't I don't like this dink and dunk type stuff. I, I don't think it, um, it it translates at all to NFL play for quarterbacks. Um, I truly believe the pocket passer. Um, you know, Tom Brady. You know, a lot has been said of what he ran the forty in at the combine, but his feet in the pocket are, are, are second to none. They're outstanding. The same thing with Peyton Manning. I don't think he'll run the hundred meters in the Olympics, but the way he can maneuver in the pocket and, and think same with Drew and then the Aaron Rodgers and uh, those guys like that. Uh, that zone read deal, I, I just think some of these guys, they're a little on the smaller side somewhat and they can't take the pounding. You have to be able to sit in the pocket and pass the football to win in the NFL. Um, you know, that's why I think Jameis will have an easier transition than some of these other guys because they played with the tight end, they played with the fullback with the hand on the ground and that'll be more of a uh, transition. I think someone like Cam uh, comes few and far between. Uh, someone that's every bit of 6'5", 255 pounds of just solid muscle. Uh, you don't see that that often. You know, Russell Wilson is a pocket-passing quarterback. He gets out the pocket, but he looks to make plays down the field. Uh, and he's twinkle toes in the pocket. So I'm not so certain about this, um, you know, this gimmicky-type offense they run in college. For uh, those quarterbacks or future quarterbacks, maybe they're playing in high school, in college, or an up-and-coming uh, football player, what advice would you give to the quarterback of this generation? Uh, I think the biggest thing, it seems like uh, with athletes now, everyone seems like they're entitled. Uh, mm-hmm. They're entitled to this and entitled to that, and I think maybe the media has a lot to do with it. What I, when I mean media, social media and right. things of that nature. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the guy, quarterback, that straps it on, that's the first one to work every day, the last one to leave. Uh, the one that's going to stay after to work on a couple of routes, and um, you know that's 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 the quarterback that I want to that I want to be my guy. I want to follow this guy. I think that'll never change. Um, you know, uh, until football will put me in play. That one quarterback that's uh, going to be in control when he gets in that huddle, and those uh, ten pairs of eyes that look at him. You know, all ten pairs of eyes they believe in every single word that he says, and they know that this guy is going to be there pulling the trigger for them and be that, that, that steady rock to that, um, for that team. So that's kind of what I believe uh, a quarterback should be, someone that always deflects praise and takes all the criticism. That, to me, uh, typifies a true quarterback. Great advice there from former quarterback, Super Bowl quarterback Jake Delhomme. Jake, before I let you go, uh, what are you up to now? Are you doing anything now that you couldn't do while you were playing football? What's a, what's a day in the life of Jake Delhomme these days? Well, I'm, I'm doing a lot more now. I was so, uh, I guess, regimented when I played. Uh, you know, from late July until the end of the season, 
there was nothing on the schedule. It was, uh, you know, I was at 800 South Mint Street, you know, at, mm-hmm. at Panther Stadium every single day when I was with the Saints, the same thing. Yep. You know, where I'm at airline drive uh, at practice every day. I mean, that just was the life of a quarterback. I think nowadays, um, obviously, uh, I can set my schedule, so to speak, very involved in uh, the thoroughbred racehorse business. My family, I'm a third-generation racehorse owner, and that's something that uh, my dad trains and my brother trains, and I guess you can say uh, – <laughs> I tag along also. So I'm at the barn every morning early. We're doing that. Um, I've gotten involved with Mid-South Bank. I'm an outside director at Mid-South Bank, so that's something that has kind of brought along a new life for me. And So I stay pretty busy. I do help coach. I have two daughters that I help coach uh, in certain sports, and uh, that, that kind of really keeps me involved in sports and coaching uh, young ladies. It's, uh, it's certainly funny. It uh, mm-hmm. keeps you on your toes. They're very tough, and they might worry about some different things than maybe a boy would, but uh, kind of keep my hand involved in a, in a few things, uh, but not not looking at anything else. Time, uh, time flies by. I'm extremely busy, but it's all worth it. Yep, sounds like you're a very busy guy. That's Jake Delhomme, former NFL quarterback and Super Bowl quarterback and now a member of the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. Jake, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning, and enjoy the Hall of Fame festivities. I will. Uh, very honored, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we thank you, Daniel, for talking to Jake, and uh, we thank Jake for taking the time out to to speak with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Uh, again, Jake, one of those guys who, uh, you know, Jake was one of those guys. He never really had a, you know, a, a, a nickname when he was here with the Saints. He was a guy who didn't get an opportunity to play a whole lot. He was behind Aaron Brooks, but you could see the flashes. He was one of those guys who you always heard didn't practice particularly well, but every time, you know, you put him on the field for games, he was a guy who – who was able to kind of get his team behind him and lead him and led the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl, as a matter of fact. So, you know, Jake DeLome, a worthy inductee uh, to the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame here. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing Jake, along with his fellow inductees, uh, go into that prestigious, prestigious institution uh, over the summer. And we'll be back to wrap it up here on the Black and Blue Report after this break. Last year, over 400,000 people from 90 countries and all 50 states came to Auctioner to find the critical care they needed. People who could have gone anywhere made Auctioner their destination for a level of expertise, clinical research, and treatment options they couldn't find anywhere else. Auctioner and our affiliated physicians are renowned for leading-edge cardiovascular care, cancer care, pediatric care, innovative treatment of neurological disorders, and more. Our outstanding transplant program has resulted in Auctioner leading the nation in successful liver transplants for years. And today, Auctioner is partnering with physicians and strong community hospitals throughout the Gulf South to bring access to the highest quality of care closer to home. Find the care you need today. Call 866-AUCTIONER for a same-day appointment. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. Everything you need to know about the Saints and Pelicans is right here on the Black and Blue Report. Okay, and that's going to wrap it up for uh, us here today on the Black and Blue Report. This is John DeShazer sitting in for Sean Kelly. Sean will be back, uh, I believe, on Tuesday in his rightful place. So, you know, all those names I called him earlier, um, they still stand. Um, but he's, he's going to be coming back uh, after a little bit of uh, R&R here on the B&B, and he'll be in Studio B. I'm not exactly sure, but you will hear his lovely voice singing again. He'll come up to you 
with the latest in the sports world as well as a few interviews on tap. Again, been a blast sitting in for him. And uh, this is John DeShazer. I'm checking out. And it was a great one. We will see you on the other side really, really soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.